Welcome to season two of the First Prez podcast. Last season was titled Gathered and Sent. It was all about our purpose and mission, being both gathered as the church to equip and encourage one another and sent to be the church in our neighborhoods, schools, and workplaces. This season, we're focusing on the five values that guide all of our decisions as a church. We believe that we are called to be disciple-making disciples of Jesus, who are biblically literate, spiritually formed, mission-focused, and gospel-fluent. So welcome to season two, Values and Direction. Um, Okay, so uh, before we start, I just want to tell you, um, really every time you hear a message, whether it's myself, Sabrina, Mark, it builds on what came last week, right? And that's really intentional. Um, So what I want to tell you is tonight, to really fully get it, you you do kind of need to have some background from the past few weeks. So what I want to encourage you to do, um, if you haven't if you're not caught up, if you haven't been keeping up the past four, five, six weeks, I really want to encourage you to go to the website, uh, watch the videos, listen to the message. You can go to a podcast. We have all these messages on our podcast. You can listen to just the message only, which will save you a little time. And I'm not saying that to get you just to listen to my sermons or Sabrina or Mark's sermons. It's just that especially when we're not really gathered as often as we normally would be, we're scattered, right? We need to be on the same page. So we are really trying to lay out these values that the session established like a year ago. I think it was about a year ago that we went on our retreat and really hammered these home. Uh, So as we try to lay that out, it's just really important that the church is up to speed, right? So we'll put it out there as much as we can, but want to encourage you, encourage you at home, just get on the website, use the podcast, and catch yourself up uh, with these values that we've been going through for the past few weeks. Fair enough? All right, let's pray, and then we'll get started. Father God, grateful, uh, grateful as always. Uh, Grateful for good friends that are talented and love you so much, and they're willing to drive across the city uh, just to lead this strange congregation in worship. So we are grateful. Uh, We are grateful that you're using people all over the world uh, to tell your story, uh, to bring people uh, to the loving embrace. We're grateful that you would use us here in this place uh, in Kingwood. So just pray that as you hear the gospel read and proclaimed, that you would reveal to us exactly how we are to do that, that this information is not information that it's not just knowledge, it's not just stuff that goes in our brains, this is stuff that changes us at the DNA level. So God, we pray that tonight that would happen, that that transformation would continue to take place in us, in this church, and in this neighborhood. So we love you, we are grateful for the time that we have together, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. All right, so you know how the story goes. In the beginning, God made a male and a female, and he made them in his image. And these image bearers were created and they were put in a particular place at a particular time for a particular reason. They were to live in community with each other and with God, but they were to be a visible representation of God here on earth. That's why they're called his image bearers. These image bearers, they were given dominion over the earth just like a king and a queen would have dominion over a kingdom. They were given God's authority to lovingly care and guide God's creation. But they failed. So God then called a man and his family. He pulled them out of the east, plants him and his descendants in the promised land. And this community now of image bearers were set apart from the rest of the world for a time so that they could learn how to be that visible representation of God on earth. 
so that when they began to interact with the nations around them again, they would reveal the nature and the character of God to them. And they failed. So in Jesus, now the physical presence of God lives and moves at a particular time in a particular place on earth to reveal to us fully the nature and the character of God. To live a life that shows us what it looks like to live a life of eternal consequence even here and now. To show us today, 2,000 years later, how to be his body. How we can be the visible representation of God that we were created to be, that we're called to be. And thank God he didn't fail, right? Even though he was crucified, he won, he was raised back to life, and he embodied the power of God here on earth. And the amazing thing is that that power now lives in us. You see, God always intended to have a visible representation of himself here on earth. Adam and Eve failed. Israel failed. But Jesus did not. And now, we are his body, the means by which he intends to fill every place with his visible presence through our physical bodies. So as we've been working through uh, the past couple weeks, this value that we're calling gospel fluency, we have learned some terminology to help us understand all this, to help us understand who we are. We've learned that we're justified, or forgiven basically, we're sanctified, the blamelessness of Christ is now being developed within us. We're reconciled, that means that we are reunited with God because of what he's done. We are men, women, and children who are now in a right relationship with God and with one another. That's the goal. And that's not because we're special. We've been given that gift so that we can guide others toward that same right relationship. That we can guide others toward that justified, sanctified, and reconciled life. So we, the justified, sanctified, and reconciled, we are now God's visible representation here in Kingwood. We are being made new And even as we're being made new, we have the power and the authority to embody the good news for the benefit of our neighbors, for the benefit of those that we engage online. Everywhere we are, everywhere we find ourselves in this life as we anticipate the life to come, we are the embodiment of the gospel. That's the goal, that's the charge, it's the calling on our lives. Listen to this from Ephesians 1. Paul is writing to this... uh, Not little church, big church in a big city. And he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he's called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance and his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked not only in the present age, but in the one to come. And here's the key. And God placed all things under his feet, under Jesus' feet, and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God for it. So the question is, the difficult question, what does it actually look like when a community of justified, sanctified, and reconciled people live that way in the world? What does that actually look like? 
Uh, a couple weeks ago, I shared these words that have been attributed to St. Francis of Assisi, that really famous phrase, preach the gospel always, use words when necessary. The truth is, the more I looked into it, that's actually not a quote. It's a paraphrase of something that he said, it's something he wrote actually, in what he called the rule of 1221. He said this, he said, no brother should preach contrary to the form and regulations of the Holy Church, not unless he has been permitted by his minister. Okay, but here's the important part. All the friars, it means all of his brothers, should preach by their deeds. So that little phrase, that we should preach by our deeds, was turned into this quote, and that's fine. We're gonna come back to him in just a minute. But the point is one that we've been making here for weeks, that our lives reflect what we actually believe. We can say we believe one thing, but the way that we live our lives, that is the reflection of what we truly believe deep down. Some of you might be familiar with Brennan Manning. Uh, He wrote this book called The Ragamuffin Gospel. Uh, He says this. He says, the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips, walk out the door, and deny him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. You see, the way that we live as followers of Jesus, it must be a reflection of the hope that we have. It must be a visible representation of our justification, of that forgiveness that we've received from God. And it is a visible representation when we offer that same radical forgiveness to others even to our enemies, to those who don't deserve forgiveness. We were enemies of God. We were people who don't deserve God's forgiveness. But we were justified in that way, and we preach that gospel with our lives when we offer the same thing to others. Remember what we said a few weeks ago, the the biblical definition of justice is doing for others what God has done for us. We have been sanctified by the power of the Holy Spirit. We are being perfectly matured day by day. This is what we talked about last week. That God is transforming us. That blamelessness of Christ is now being developed in us. And we preach that gospel when we live that way. When we live as a people who are being made new, rather than as a people who confess this new life in Jesus with our lips, but that continue to live our old lives day after day. We have been reconciled, our relationship with God restored and made new. We preach that gospel when we act as reconcilers. When we do the hard work of bridging the things that divide us, not only here in this room, but even divide our culture and our community around us. When you display the gospel with your life, here's the side benefit. It'll naturally be a blessing to everybody around you. If you are proclaiming the gospel in your daily life, your neighbors will benefit and they will be blessed by it. And it doesn't matter who they are. It doesn't matter if they're atheist, if they're Buddhist. It doesn't matter what they believe. Your practiced Christian faith will be a blessing to their life. So then imagine that you live just down the street from another family who is also displaying the power of the gospel in their daily lives. Man, two of those families on one street, that is going to be a radically blessed street. The families on that street will experience the love and forgiveness of God because you and that other family and any other family, you're called to be visible representations of God's love and mercy to those around you. That's pretty idealistic. It's true, but it's idealistic. And listen, it's hard. 
And I'll be totally honest with you, this is an area in which I really struggle. I get really focused and tied up in my own ministry here, in my family, that I often forget to pay attention at all to the people who live right around me. So I repent of that, I confess that, and I ask the Holy Spirit to turn some of my focus and my attention toward my neighbors more and more. Not because I'm a pastor, but because I'm a justified, sanctified, reconciled child of God. And it's what I've been commanded to do. It's my job. So we are absolutely called to put that gospel on display. But we are called to not only display the gospel, we are called to declare it. The gospel in our lives is to be both a display and a declaration. I told you earlier about that quote that's attributed to St. Francis. And I told you that it's really more of a paraphrase. Um, What he said is true. The paraphrase is true. It's consistent with scripture. But St. Francis himself knew that you can't preach the whole gospel without words. So I found this from Christianity Today. One of their editors, um, he wrote a book on St. Francis. And he makes the argument and uses history to tell the truth that St. Francis was a serious preacher. That he was a preacher just like Jonathan Edwards or Billy Sunday. If you don't know who these guys are, go look them up. They were for real preachers. He wrote, about, he wrote about this. He said, his words were neither hollow nor ridiculous. They were filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. They penetrated the marrow of a heart. So listeners were turned in great amazement. He went on to write, he said that sometimes he would preach in up to five villages a day, often outdoors. When he was in the country, he would speak from a bale of straw or a granary doorway. When he was in the town, he would climb up on a box or he'd get up on the steps of a public building. He preached, and this is how the writer put it, to anyone who would gather to hear this strange but fiery little preacher from Assisi. They said that he was sometimes so animate, animated and passionate in his delivery that it looked like he was dancing. So here's the point. It is dangerous to follow the practice of preaching the gospel with our actions only. It is dangerous to display the gospel only. And it's dangerous because that can actually preach a false gospel. If my life is truly changed, if I am really loving, peaceful, patient, kind, if I'm becoming more of that every day, but I never attribute that change in me to Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit, then I am robbing my Savior of the credit he deserves. I'm in effect claiming those good deeds are mine alone. And that is so dangerous because this can lead others, non-believers around us, to think that they can become more loving, more peaceful, more patient, more kind, and all of the others. That they can become that if they would just try hard enough. If they see us only display the gospel, they might believe that they could achieve that justified and sanctified life on their power alone. One author wrote this, he said, how often do good moral lives disconnected from the gospel explanation actually hurt our witness by convincing people they don't need Jesus? We need to do more than just be nice. We need to tell them why we choose to live as we do. 
the power that enables us to live as we do. We shouldn't rob Jesus of the credit. We shouldn't steal away his glory. Our family, uh, recently, we have been watching a lot of Hamilton. Um, I mean, it seems like we've been watching a lot of Hamilton. Benjamin, would you agree with that? A lot of Hamilton. And look, I don't think we're alone. Um, Ben likes the first half, not so much the second half. It's all right. Uh, We're not the only family. I saw online recently a family that was having a little Hamilton party. I think somebody in the family even made rules for how they were to watch Hamilton for the first time. And uh, if I'm not mistaken, they may have worn name tags and like played parts from within. Is, is that correct? Yeah. Doc, you, you were part of that family. Uh, Mr. Shiler, right? Yeah. You remember your line? Do you remember your line? Be true. Be true, baby. That's right. So we've been watching a lot of Hamilton. Uh, until we saw it online, I was the only one who hadn't seen the production live. So I was really excited uh, when it came out. And look, if you haven't seen it, I'm not giving anything away. Um, it's not a retelling of history. It's, it's a remix of history, I mean, in more ways than one. Uh, but watching it really has made me more curious about the Founding Fathers. I mean, I didn't know much about Alexander Hamilton, aside from the famous duel. Uh, that's about all I knew of Aaron Burr as well. Um, so as I've, you know, learned some more over the past couple of weeks, I have been struck. I've been struck by the way declaration and display played out in the lives of those Founding Fathers. I mean, listen to this. We hold these truths to be self-evident. I'm not, I want to sing. I want to sing so bad, but I'm not going to sing. That all men are created equal. That they're endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. That among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their powers from the consent of the governed. I mean, that's beautiful. Those words changed history, right? They are so powerful and they are so true. I have no disagreement with any of those words. They're totally consistent with the witness of Scripture. It is such a powerful declaration. The problem is that the hands that wrote those words were the same hands that exchanged cash for slaves. The men who wrote and believed that all men are created equal and have been endowed with inalienable rights, they participated in a system that enslaved an entire race of people for generations. And that's tough. But I think even in this modern era where we don't agree on anything, I think we can all agree that slavery is that original sin of our nation. It's a stain that we are still fighting against today, 244 years after those hands wrote that declaration. You see, their display was inconsistent with their declaration. Their declaration was right, and I believe that they believed it. I believe that they fought for it because they truly believed those words. But their actions betrayed it. And the reality is, we know this today, that the display of our lives, what we do, it's more convincing than what we say. Right? When we say one thing but then do the other, Our doing trumps whatever it is we said. You see, our founding fathers, and I'm not criticizing them individually, they're broken sinners just like me in the presence of God. And they were caught in a conundrum. They were fighting for their freedom and human rights and the freedom and human rights of those that they loved. 
but their world functioned in a way that allowed them to also embrace a practice that declared the exact opposite for others. It enabled them to rob others of the very thing they were fighting for. Their politics, their economy, it was drowning in the blood of the slave trade and of slave labor. And they just weren't ready to fight that battle yet. You see, their culture shaped them. Their faith and their values were evident. They were right. And I believe that they truly believed them. But their culture had formed in them a hypocrisy. And we are still struggling against that hypocrisy today. And you see, today, I think that we face a similar conundrum. It's just with our own little remix. You see, right now, our displays of love, peace, patience, kindness, that is welcomed by our society. They are happy to receive our display of the gospel. Those values are well received. When I offer love and kindness in the community, no matter who it's to, I am rarely laughed at or mocked or shouted down. Love and kindness is welcomed in our society. But our society cannot tolerate our declaration. It can't tolerate our attribution of those values to the person of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. Because our culture thinks we can do it on our own. And I really believe that has created in us a really similar dilemma between our declaration and our display. So the question is, is it so comfortable that we become satisfied to just display the gospel because it's socially acceptable? Or are we willing, are we courageous enough to fight against our culture's intolerance of the declaration that Jesus Christ is Lord? This is so important because if we allow the culture to shape us, then even if our faith and our values are evident and true, even if we really believe them in our hearts, our actions will lead to a hypocrisy that will grow in us and it'll not only hurt our mission today, but it'll have a lingering impact on the church of tomorrow. And if we continue that trend, if we fail, we run the risk of doing nothing greater than preaching the gospel of the goodness of Chad or of Sabrina or of any of y'all. And no offense to any of us, but that is not only pointless. There is no gospel in the goodness of Chad. That's not only pointless, it's heresy. I would argue even worse than that, it's idolatry. Because any goodness in me is directly tied to that cross. It's directly tied to Jesus' death and resurrection. It's directly tied to the power of his spirit that's now at work in me. And if I can't name that, if I can't declare that truth to others, then by default, I'm claiming that credit for myself. And I run the risk of leading others down a really dark path of self-righteousness a path where they would come to believe that justification and sanctification comes by their own works and not by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. A gospel-fluent people, a disciple-making people, must be able to tell the story of the hope that they have in Jesus Christ. You cannot make a disciple of someone else if you can't tell them why you became a disciple in the first place. Jesus' original disciples knew how important this was. This is from 1 Peter. The outspoken often kind of comes off as a fool in the Gospels. 
but he leads and guides the church throughout the rest of the New Testament. Peter says, who's going to harm you if you're eager to do good? See, he knew the same thing we know now. Nobody's going to be upset at you for doing good things. But even if you should suffer for what's right, you're blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. And in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. And always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and with respect. So here's your practice. This is something to literally go and do, like tonight or this week. Go write your own story. That's that theme that comes up throughout Hamilton all the, all the time, right? Who's going to write my story? Like, go, go write your own. And I may have asked you to do this before, like a year ago, but this is such an important practice, you should do it regularly. Go write your own story, because you need to see if you can tell yourself the reason that you have hope in Jesus Christ. As you're doing that, send it to me. Send it to anybody on the staff. Send it to any of our elders. Share it with us, because we are ready and willing to help you work through the details, to listen to you. To help you, if we can, put your lived experience into words. And then once you have found the ability to do that, share it. Share it with your children, with your spouses, with your brothers and sisters, your mothers and fathers, your aunts and uncles. We probably need to set up more opportunities here for you to do that. We need to practice the sharing with one another. But be prepared to share, because what you don't realize is that you have that very opportunity every single day. You have the opportunity to tell the story of your hope every day, on your street, with your neighbors, at work, with coworkers, at school, online, everywhere you are every single day, always. There is always an opportunity for you to share that story. You just have to be paying attention, listening for that guidance of the Holy Spirit that now's the time. This is terrifying. I'm terrified to say what I'm about to say to this person. But I love them. And what I've found has transformed my life. And they deserve to have that gift too. A few months ago, one of our active elders, Jennifer Arthur, she did that during Lent. When you go back online and look at the older services, you can listen to hers. You can listen to one of our elders who gives us the reason for her hope. So write your own story. Write that story for yourself. Tell yourself why you have hope in Jesus and then be prepared to share it. Because the truth is your neighbors want the gospel displayed in your life. They want that gospel displayed on their street because it's good for them. But they need the gospel of Jesus declared so that they can discover and embrace that hope for themselves. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, I'm a pastor. You know that. My job is to stand up in front of people and tell the story over and over. Um, And it is terrifying. It is terrifying to talk to strangers or probably worse, to talk to friends about who you are, how you've changed our lives, and what that might mean for them. Um, So we need that Holy Spirit power. We need that courage. We need that strength. We need the words. We need all of it because we can't do it on our own. So God, I would pray that we really would take to heart um, that difficult truth 
that if we are not declaring the life that we display, that we really might be doing some damage to some people that we love. So be merciful and generous with us as we wrestle through that and give us the tools we need to both declare your love and display it. We pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. And all God's people said, amen. Thanks for listening. You can find us online at www.fpc-kingwood.org. Our services are available on our website. You can also follow us on Facebook and find us on Instagram at fpc underscore kingwood. We'll see you next time.